Now where are people going to at me when Santa Claus touches his nose? Let's start the show! And welcome to a podcast with Jordan Haas, the podcast about what the fuck has been going on. Kind of. Somewhat. I'm Jordan Haas. Did you hear a Twitter shutting down? Oh my god, Twitter shutting down. Guys, Twitter shutting down. We only have like a two days left, three days left, and we need your help. So because we're shutting down, we need I need you guys to help. We need help. That has been basically my feed on Twitter. For the last few weeks, uh, Elon Musk, who I don't know if you know this, kind of sucks. I, I, I'm not trying to defend Elon Musk here. I think he sucks ass. Uh, is a terrible businessman, not a stable genius. See, it turns out if you're a billionaire, you can buy your way into having a brand of whatever the fuck you feel like. You could be a cool daredevil guy like the Virgin Megastore guy, or you could end up being a guy famous for having gold toilet seats like Donald Trump. Or you could be Elon Musk, the guy who's the real-life Tony Stark, and he's just a guy like you because he watches Rick and Morty. And just like you, he, he fucked Grimes. I apologize to Grimes. I think you're a talented musician. So anyway, uh, as Twitter is shutting down, uh, people have been just in a weird uh, frenzy because he laid off a... Basically, here's what happened. Elon Musk, uh, the whiny crybaby billionaire bitch, uh, went, I, I, I don't like it. I want to fix this because the social justice warriors critical are going to fix this. It'll be very fun. Great. We're going to take, we're going to fix all the cancel culture in this place. We're going to get rid of all the bad. Anyway, I want you all working from here because I watched Fox Business and all these people are saying the Marxists don't want to work for, work for home anymore. I don't want that. I want people to work here at Twitter. So uh, I'm going to write an email. Hey, guys, why don't you work here? If you you got to work here in this office building and you have to sit through my dumb jokes in person now, you have to suffer through my meme my meme posting in real life next to this water cooler. If not, you're fired. I'm putting an ultimatum on this. We're going to be hardcore. I know what hardcore is. I watched the WWF. I watched Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, hell yeah. And then the Twitter people are like, bro, I'm a I'm a fucking programmer. I'm a I'm a needed asset in this entire workforce. If I if I leave today, I could work practically anywhere doing anything cuz programming is kind of one of the future techs that people have been promoting for the last decade about STEM. I'm a necessary asset. I don't need to be working under you. So if I leave and take my severance, I'm going to be a fucking millionaire because you never read my fucking contract. So see ya. And then I leave. And that was in the hundreds. So as Elon Musk uh, has decided to, uh, he hasn't decided to, pe the people who worked under him decided, I'm done. I'm gone. I could work anywhere else. I could 
make a better Twitter and my free time. Um, Elon Musk has like, I think like 90% have been gone. So it's like really a decimated amount of staff. Uh, the Dublin office, which uh, has still decided to be closed because of the pandemic, may or may not be a tax shelter for Jack, uh, Twitter Jack, or something else with Twitter. You never know with these billionaire companies. Elon Musk basically shut down that company because none of those people want to work from from the office. They want to work from home, probably because that's what the prime minister said. Uh, second, uh, because of this ultimatum, a lot of people were a little angry. So he decided, I'm going to fire people who are being nasty to me on Twitter. I'm going to fire people uh, who are complaining on the internet. Because once again, I'm a harbor for free speech, and I support the First Amendment to say what you want to say without consequence. I hate this cancel culture. How dare you? You're fired. Folks, I just want to get into this real quick. There is no difference between Elon Musk firing somebody and like what Shane Gillis did on Saturday Night Live or any of the sort of things that someone says something and then something bad happens to them because of what they have said. I think those are the same. Uh, Elon Musk firing somebody for being mean to Elon Musk, he has the right to do that. I know I'm, I'm, it's, it's selfish of me to say that. However, I will argue, and this is my big argument here, uh, you can't do that and then pretend that you're anti-cancel culture. You, I'm against the cancel culture. I don't like people suppressing free speech. And then when somebody says, well, you're a shitty business guy, you got your money from your rich parents for doing illegal uh, emerald mining. How dare you? That's, that's, that's Elon Musk. He sucks ass. So, uh, I have the right to say that because of First Amendment, but I could be deplatformed for what I have said because I have a podcast that goes out broadcasted to Apple and to Spotify, and people can report and flag, and then I'm, I'm done with the podcast in that regard, too, for making fun of Daddy Musk, which, by the way, will not give you money, will not give you a Tesla, and will not let you uh, go to the Mars with him unless you agreed for indentured servitude because that dude probably played Bioshock and didn't understand the big plot points. Libertarian uh, capitalism does not simply work. <laughs> um, so because Elon Musk is a shitty guy, lots of people have been laid off, uh, badges no longer work, slacks have been shut down, and there's been a lot of uh, stress going on at the Twitter offices. It has reached global world news, obviously, because it's a pu Personally, I think Twitter should be a public utility. It should be kind of, uh, it should be a public good. It should be a public resource, similar to radio and television, instead of private enterprise by some asshole. What are you gonna do about it? It's a social media thing. Most people watch it doom scrolling while on their toilet. So when we see um, what's been going on with Elon Musk basically making a shit service and not knowing what he wants to do with $8, not knowing what he wants to do with the employees, wanting to make a TV channel kind of thing with it, then wanting to make a credit card service, getting rid of two-factor authorization for that said service. And that also means your security on your credit cards, even if you buy Twitter Blue, is not safe. It leads to a lot of hiccups. 
and a lot of, uh, I would say, uh, questionable actions, shall we say. So because of these questionable actions, people are trying to figure out the Twitter alternative. Uh, the Twitter alternatives have been all across the board, from things like co-host to things like uh, Mastodon to things like, uh, to things like Tumblr making a resurgence. And uh, the newest one is Hive. Hive is the new upfront thing that people might say is the new Twitter. I think of all of the platforms, I think Hive is probably the best Twitter clone. I'm putting that in air quotes. Because unlike Mastodon, there's not like 18,000 servers. So it's easy to just say, hey, I'm on Hive, follow me, Jordan Haas. There is uh, the same posting, there's edits, there's lengths, you can post it a little bit longer. And it's, it has some of the same features like GIFs and all that. Big problem with it though is it's still in beta testing on Android and there is no functional desktop version of the Hive app, which kind of like Vero, or was it? Was Vero the one that uh, that, that Snyder did? Scott's, uh, Snyder did the, did the Vero, I believe. And he was a big like proponent, he still posts there. That's another alternative people have been going towards in the social media atmosphere. Uh, and of course, Twitter's still around. It's still around. People are people are still tweeting. They're going somewhere else, but they're still tweeting. Uh, and that's kind of, I think that's a bit funny because it's like, well, tw if Twitter was really gone by now, it'd be gone. Just assume every week day is the last day on Twitter, in, in, or doom scroll like you normally do. You're always doom scrolling. Uh, if you're asking me where I would go if Twitter is gone. I mean, like, I would be first confused, but I would definitely say Tumblr would be the place I would go. Because Tumblr has uh, fandoms, and fandoms means pop culture. Pop culture means TV shows, movies, video games. And yes, there's going to be the little teenagers going, it's so problematic, how could you like the villain? And then in the same breath, retweet, like, a villain kink fan fiction. There's full of hypocrisies in life, too. But Tumblr, I think, works because GIF images and sharing music and all that stuff. The other one of the new ideas, I would say, is definitely Hive. But Hive definitely needs to ramp up its production, make sure their servers are live, and make sure it goes out of beta. Because I can't, I can't share Spotify songs yet. I can't change my avatar header image because I'm an Android. I'm a Google phone guy. So there's nothing I could do currently with Hive, but I love the Hive uh, beta version that they have given, and I think that could be the one form. I I think you should do an alternative just simply out of protest that Twitter sucks because Elon Musk sucks. I don't think you should just do a crybaby, oh, I'm leaving, and then you're gone. Just find the alternative and go there. It's okay. You could just say it like that. When, when MySpace was popular and then Rupert Murdoch bought it because Fox was like People left and went to somewhere else, but they didn't like make posts constantly like, oh, I'm gone. They just sort of went to Facebook. That was kind of the thing. They went to Facebook and they went to LiveJournal. Uh, I think PhotoBucket too. Was that the one, the photo share thing? PhotoBucket or Imgur? One of those. And they were just sharing and they were, but that was still during the message board era. I think the only real message boards left are like Reddit uh, whatever you consider these Chan websites that are horrendous and something awful. Is Fark still around? I haven't checked. I assume Fark as well, but something awful. And I will go on record. 
This is Jordan on the public podcast with my hot take. Here's the hot take. Here you go. Listen to this. The Something Awful message board still remains one of the best communities out there. And in many ways, I uh, could outlive most social media websites if regulated correctly with the right people in place. And because you are paying essentially for servers in hopefully moderation, and I mean good moderation, it will remain a very good place. Now, I also argue don't go to GBS, don't go to FYAD. BYOB is pretty chill. I like those dudes. Uh, but just go to your primary things that you love talking about. If you like, it's a message board. So if you love video games, go to games. If you love TV, go to TV. You love movies, there's movie. There's so many places to communicate and that's very fun. And plus many people try to do jokes and they're great. And they're really good at basically banning or suspending people who do really shit comedy, essentially. Now, that's not to say you can't do, like, your edgelord bullshit, because there's little places where you can do that, but typically those are kind of met with the irony that it's supposed to be met with, not the hate speech that a lot of people spew. Uh, so, for me, I think something awful is the way to go if you really want to go somewhere when this crashes and burns. I hate to say it. Low tax is dead. We can all celebrate. Um, but other than that, Tumblr, if you want a free service, it's fandom driven, or you should go try Hive because I think Hive could be a really cool thing, especially with the way they're sharing music with it. And I think everyone wants to share songs and it's always been something they want to try out. Also an ask box, I think is also at Hive. So that's another really cool thing. Co-host is Tumblr, which is kind of, if you just have a Tumblr, you already have it. And I, I also think that there's a good rollout with Tumblr. Uh, they, they fixed a lot of bugs. You can post butts now and nipples. I don't, not straight up porn, just, but straight up if you, you could show your, show some ass if you want. Uh, and then, and then, well, that's fine with me. I'll free the nipple is what I'm trying to get at here. So Twitter, it, it's a, it's a mess. It sucks. I'm going to keep doing it, but like, this is basically kind of like, um, essentially when you, this is kind of like when you drink something that you know is bad for you and you're trying to find alternatives. That's kind of where we're at right now. We're at the, you shouldn't really maybe drink Mountain Dew like four cans a day. You should probably drink water. <laughs> you could try other sodas and you're like, no, I don't want to try. I just want the Mountain Dew. That, that's, that's where we're at right now with Twitter. Even when the guy is pissing in the Mountain Dew can saying, this is the best Mountain Dew ever. No, seriously, people love it. They love it. He's, he's no different than Trump. Also, they reinstated Trump. And, and that is going to be uh, funny because in the news, from what I'm hearing, uh, Musk was like, yeah, we're bringing back Donald Trump to here because we're going to reinstate because free speech. And Donald Trump, who I will say is not a smart person. He's a dummy, dumb, dumb, and probably a fascist. Uh, he goes on record going like, why would I go to that piece of shit website? I don't want to go. I'm on truth. The truth is the better social. I don't fucking need fucking this dumb shit. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I think that is honestly one of the coolest things he's done. <laughs> he's jumped on Elon Musk. He was, Obviously, he has no lines to anybody. He's a piece of shit. But I would love if the Elon Musk, like stands the k-hive of elon musk the musk rakers as i like to call them 
uh, like fight against MAGA redcaps. I think that's the real fight of the century because it's people who want Teslas versus people who want like maybe an apartment at Trump Tower. I don't fucking know what their deal is. <laughs> but it's it's it, to me, that's the real fight on the Internet. And I want to sit back, get like an Arizona green tea. You know, the ones we go convenience stores, get a lawn chair and just watch the fireworks. Uh, that to me, that's the dream. Uh, but yeah, there's just fine alternatives. Don't be afraid to check Discord. Keep in touch with your friends. This is this is not the first time it's happened. It's just the first time something this big has met with backlash. Also, like Kathy Griffin's back, which is like, uh, who cares? She's going to just do Elon Musk parodies again, hopefully, and probably uh, get banned again. Uh, and also Jordan Peterson, apparently. You know, Jordan Peterson, that guy we all love right? We all love the shitty professor of, what the fuck was he a professor of? Philosophy, I think? Was he a philosophy professor? He wasn't even a good philosophy professor. He fucking, he, he can't teach Kant. He, he's not like a, a, well, he is one. And that's a joke. Anyway, so it's a, uh, it, 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 it's a weird time to be on Twitter. I think just find the alternative, stick with it, and try and signal boost. But most likely, most of the new ones might not last because a lot of these people are turnkey, turn around. You need good word of mouth. You need this to be as big as TikTok or as good as Be Real. Remember when people did Be Real? Do people still do Be Real? That was like a month of people like, oh shit, I have to be real. And it's just like a photo of them in their apartment. Like, that's it. <laughs> it's not really... Really exciting stuff going in the exciting world of social media. Um, but for me, I went to Tumblr. I'm, I, I, what I've done, and here's a pro tip for you guys before we move on to the next subject. If you want uh, to get rid of Twitter, but you still want to keep Twitter on your phone, wherever your icon is on your iPhone or Android or whatever, move the Twitter app away to someplace like a top right corner on the top, like put somewhere in the top like area that you don't have to tap because usually your primary phone apps are usually in the middle by your primary hand. If you're left-handed, you know, the big four in the side in the middle and then on the right side, the four in the middle. You know the ones because it's usually a 16 cube. Whatever's in the middle is most likely or the lower ones because you're closer, you're holding it up. So the bottom right corner is your typically your primary app. Move Twitter away from that and make your whatever is your new uh, social media, your Tumblr, Hive, whatever. Make that your primary place. Wherever you put Twitter, move it out and replace it with your primary app of where you go. Because then your subconscious brain is going to go to that app for a while instead of just, oh, shit, I got to go to Twitter. And I think that is a secret you guys need to learn. That's a pro tip for me. Jordan, the guy who says you shouldn't delete your account, but you should definitely just like leave the app running because there's no two factor authorization. <laughs> and I know people are, are still want to use Twitter, be, but the app still kind of sucks. Uh, find the alternative and hey, get ready for season f like 17 of Shark Tank when people start doing the new Twitters. That will be fantastic. Uh, anyway, uh, let's go into some movies, some some uh, fun movie uh, stuff. I watched a, I watched documentaries mostly this week. Uh, this week I watched Pepsi Where's My Jet. Uh, Pepsi Where's My Jet is a documentary about a guy, 
uh, who uh, essentially saw a commercial for Pepsi for a uh, hanger, like a, a, a like a jet, like a hanger jet, uh, military grade. For seven million points, seven million Pepsi points, you can win this plane. And they talked to everybody associated, from the person who did it to the attorneys at Pepsi to the advertisers who made the ads. And it's a well-researched, well-documented story about this, like, really big law fight. It's not a true crime. And I should just point this out. I'm sick of true crime. I don't... Maybe it's because I'm more flippant and I just want more fun. Like, true crime, it's murder... (laughs) or it's murder, or it's a missing person. I don't want missing persons and murders. I don't want to talk about serial killers. That's just, I I have better things to do, such as, did you hear about the guy who was like 20 years old and saw a commercial for Pepsi and then thought, wait a minute, if I get enough Pepsi points, I could buy a hanger jet and that's worth like shitloads of money and I could probably make money off it. Cool. So... He buys, like, every Pepsi in his convenience store. Then he talks to his friend who puts up the money to try and do the organization. It's a great story. And in and the midpoint twist, the midpoint twist of the story, which I will spoil, because I, I will spoil the hell out of documentaries, especially ones you have not seen and probably won't see. Michael Avenatti is associated with this as a young attorney and young lawyer. Michael Avenatti, the Stormy Daniels attorney, the famous, oh, he's the famous fighter attorney. He's in this, and there's a great twist at the end of what happens to him. And I don't want to spoil that because I think that's part of the story, but man, that was that was one of the funniest ones. Because um, one, Pepsi brand, two, commercial, very funny, and three, it actually deals with like the sinister side of like sweepstakes. And uh, at the fourth episode, as like an addendum to what happens, they talk about the Philippines in the 90s when they had a Pepsi lottery sort of situation where you could win a million pesos there. And that's life changing amounts of money in the, uh, in the Philippines. And people would basically put their life insurance on this. And there was a glitch on the computer, and Pepsi didn't pay out the money and there were fire bombs and bad stuff anyway uh if you want a story about a guy trying to win a jet (laughs) a jet through commercial enterprise and cindy crawford shows up you're in for a real treat with uh pepsi where's my jet it's a very good it's a very very good documentary lots of fantastic characters and a, a recurring uh, Coke versus Pepsi challenge. Who wins the ultimate Pepsi challenge? <laughs> Wait till you see. I will spoil that a Pepsi guy picks Coke and has a meltdown. <laughs> well, not really a full meltdown. Just a, oh, no, what the, no. <laughs> and I thought that was one of the highlights of the documentary. Um, anyway, you're most likely not watching documentaries this week. You're probably playing video games. And the game that has been everyone's attention this week has been Pokemon Scarlet and Violet for Nintendo Switch, because Pokemon games are very popular. Pokemon celebrating, I think, another anniversary. I think this is the 25th anniversary, or that's not last year. Ed Sheeran had a whole song this year. People have fallen in love with it. I myself love Jigglypuff. I love Munchlax, the muncher himself, Munchlax. And there's lots of fun, cute characters in Pokemon. It, and I'm like, Ash Ketchum won the the episode. I think that show's about to come to an end. 
So here's this promotional game that just came out, the next Pokemon game. I didn't play it. I don't want to play it, essentially. Because to me, I, I've come to the realization I don't want to catch them all. And I don't want to just grab random monsters and just make them like boost up their ranks and then fight them and then make the finale I beat the Elite Four or whatever is the equivalent of like the winning tournament championship and then you're done. I think there is definitely a market for that and I think that market is big. Uh, I think Pokemon knows what their primary audience is. I'm not one of them. However, I watch YouTube videos like I normally do. I watch Twitch streamers and I decided to do a passive review of Pokemon Scarlet and Violet from a perspective of a viewer. That's right, this is the segment we sometimes do. So, <clears throat> Pokemon Scarlet and Violet uh, is a very okay looking game. And I don't know when they changed the graphics and looks of the Pokemon trainers. Everything is 3D and there's fights and there's duos, and you can fight with duos or pairs or singles. I forget which one they do. I might have gotten it confused with the last one. Uh, but uh, the thing that is uh, the new tree this year is there's a water, there's a there's a water duck, quackity, quackity quack. There is a fire a monster. That looks like one of those uh, Neo Geo dinosaur things from Pop It Up. And there is the frog. What up, frog? Let's all say, what up, frog? That's the character's name. What up, frog? Uh, and you pick one of those three, just like the classic Pokemon. Fire, water, or leaf. And you get to train them, and then you go through all the rigmarole. There's boats, there's leaves, you catch them, you grab the Pokeballs, there's magical Pokeballs, there's Ultra Balls, Master Balls, Master Balls, I see, there's Master Balls, and like Dark Balls and Light Balls and all sorts of little ways for you to catch these Pokemon, because you gotta catch them all, and then as you build your resume of six, you go fight, you get the badges, etc., you've played Pokemon before. I I have stopped playing it around the Game Boy Color era with Pokemon Gold and Silver. I never really got into the GBA era of like Leaf Green and Fire Red uh, or the DS editions. I know it's a primarily good turn-based RPG franchise and lots of great characters and cuteness. And yes, I will say a lot of them are cute. I think a lot of people have a favorite Pokemon that that's it's to me one of the best things about pokemon is i don't think i think everyone has like a favorite pokemon and and then if you don't like pokemon you just can just look like your your grandkid will probably point at like three thousand of these things and then you could just point to like the ice cream cone like that one uh and then you call it a day um but if you want defaults it's usually psyduck or gengar uh so it's uh it's it's an interesting game but it it's boring passively, I think. And I think that's the big issue. Is It's not a passive watching game. I know people are Twitch streaming this game, and there's a whole Pokemon community of Twitch streamers. My friend Bob Haig. Uh, Bob does Pokemon streams constantly. Shout out to Buzzer Bob. Uh, he, he does great work. Fantastic work over there. He has some game showy themes. It's all great. 
Um, but it, it's one of those things of like, I, what I, I try to figure out what the enjoyment is other than the surprise of the Pokemon when you're in like out and about or the surprise of like, oh shit, there's Snorlax or, oh shit, there's uh, like a uh, gen two, gen three. And I don't know these other gens. So I'm not really the best feature on this. I'm not really the best to say, well, I would play this game because I wouldn't. There's too many people. I'm overwhelmed. It gives me anxiety watching this game. However, uh, the people who Twitch stream this and uh, YouTube Let's Play this with commentary seem to be really enjoying it. Uh, the friends I have who have bought these games have been playing it and they have been spending hours of their life playing it. And to me, I think that's a sign of a really good game because it, it's... Because usually if, if you are losing track of time, that means you're having fun. Uh, the only thing I'm, I'm curious about is like battle mechanics in terms of online play. Yes, you can online battle. That makes sense. You can online trade. That also makes sense, which is a hot new feature since like what? Like 2007, 2008, when they can do online mode. Because trading has been a big part of Pokemon. Online battles have been a huge like selling point of the original Pokemon with the game links. And it's still very cute. I sort of wish when we look at Pokemon, I, we look at it more. I, I, I think there's more franchisability when we look at things like Detective Pikachu than like the mainline Pokemon games. And I kind of wish we have more uh, Pokemon like style games. Like uh, there was that one where you were playing multiplayer. It was kind of like uh, Minish Cap. There was one of those Pokemon games. That is what we think Pokemon should be. But it's it's not really the... Uh, it's not a Jordan game by any means, but people have been enjoying it. And for me, this is the, this is the Jordan opinion. Even if a game is not for me, but there is some people enjoying the hell out of it, might not be their favorite Pokemon game, might be, who cares... But if it's bringing smiles to faces, who the hell am I to go, eh, it's not for me, who gives a shit? Because people love it. People love this new version of Pokemon. Apparently, uh, one of those is, I saw a tweet recently, it was, I think it was Scarlet? Scarlet was the one that was, like, sold out while Violet was staying around, so it's kind of like the red-blue situation of which one's the one people will go to. And I, I don't have a favorite. However, I will say the duck is pretty cool. I like the I like the cool duck. He has a cool hair. I, I want that duck to to do like disco dancing. I don't know these characters' names. That's how that's how well researched this segment is. Uh, so yeah, that's that's about it with the with the Pokemon review. I, I it looks fun. I wouldn't give it a score. I, if I did five, four, four, five, one of those. I'll say four. It's a good game. Maybe not the best four, but I haven't played it. So it's my numbers don't count. Um, and we conclude this week with the YouTube wormhole. YouTube. I don't have a theme song yet for the YouTube wormhole. I always get a YouTube wormhole. This week, uh, Botchamania just uploaded a new video. Nothing with the new AEW pay-per-view event full gear. Uh, but hey, they are in a Hallmark movie. <laughs> well, <laughs> or it was the Amazon Prime movie. It was a homecoming thing. 
Botchamania, folks. Um, and the other YouTube things I watched were two documentaries. Two documentaries. I mean, one's... Well, okay. Just to help this people out, one is a video essay, and the other is a documentary by an artist. Uh, I watched... Uh, oof. I, what, what, what did H-Bomber guy call it? Oof.wave? Oof.Minecraft? Oof. And uh, I watched The New Defunct Land about the Disney Channel sting. Uh, both of these are basically similar in their attempts. Uh, both have a question. Who created this sound effect? For H-Bomber guy, it's the oof. For uh, Kevin, it's the do, 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 do that you see on the Disney Channel. You know, like, hey, I'm Jordan. You're watching this channel. Do, 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 do. Uh, and it, they're both have different, uh, protocols and they're both totally different stories with each bomber guy. Oof. Minecraft is basically the story of the Minecraft oof being this deaf sound effect, the history of Minecraft. And then it's the, uh, Oh, Tommy Talarico studios with Kevin Perger. No one knows. So he's on the wild goose chase of trying to track it down. So it becomes a big mystery. However, as H. Baum goes through history, we'll start there, his documentary essentially translates to who created the oof noise. And Tommy Tallarico essentially as a character in things. More on that later. And his assistant, Josh, who worked under Tommy at his studio in Shine Entertainment, now, Tommy Tallarico is a weird character. I should say this right now. So we're going to talk. It's it's a mostly a documentary about Tommy Tallarico, more than the Minecraft oof. Minecraft oof, it's Tommy Tallarico, but it's not really Tommy Tallarico. That's the big conclusion. Uh, but Tommy will take credit because Tommy always takes credit. That is the essentially the story of Minecraft oof. And uh, sources are saying even that may not be true. Um... <clears throat> With uh, with the Disney Channel, more on that later. So, each bummer guy basically wrote a two, almost a two-hour piece about Tommy Tallarico. I have met Tommy Tallarico. I, my mom has met Tommy Tallarico outside of like my, my gaming addiction. Uh, so that's and not in sex. Before you make the obvious sex joke, Adam Sessler. Um, <clears throat> No, uh, there is, uh, essentially, uh, Tommy Tallarico was a film, like, uh, was a, was a music composer for video games at the peak of, like, the 90s. He did Virgin Interactive, he did, uh, he did Earthworm Jim, and I would say he actually did some music. Uh, his most famous work is, of course, Color a Dinosaur. And uh, I, fun fact, I got Tommy to sign a copy of Color a Dinosaur, and now I've lost it. And I'm kind of pissed off about that. That's one of those one of those things where it's like I had it in my old place, and I moved here when I was in middle school, and I'm pissed. Really pissed. <laughs> um, but no, whenever I met Tommy, he's a nice person. So, uh, like, he was always nice to me. But uh, that was before, like, 2009 when he retired from gaming. Like, the last time I talked to him was the first video games live event, and Advent Rising came out, and that was it. 
Uh, and then I kind of went, oh, well, I'm going to hang out at the G4 forums. And that was that was it. Uh, essentially, Tommy, from what I've heard about Tommy since like 2009, 2010, he got pissed because uh, he like G4 basically never aired Electric Playground, never aired Judgment Day. So he got fired. So he's like, ah, oh, fuck this place. Fuck G4. And I think he was just trying to find his next thing. And that was Video Games Live. And I, I mean, Video Game Symphonies are really cool. I think the promotion of gaming music is obviously something important. One caveat, though, is I think a lot of people besides Tommy do it better. Like the Final Fantasy reunion concerts that show up almost every year. Uh, the Kirby concert that happened this summer for the 30th anniversary of Kirby was a fantastic concert. Little symphonies of video game music. I love that. Um, but, he, you know, he has the lights and the guitar, and it's about Tommy. Uh, so H. Bomber Guy basically goes through and says, well, he owns it. He tweets this one thing, but he says another thing once it gets more successful because he thinks he can get more money out of this. When he gave credit to... Josh at the beginning and then he took it as if he made it himself so he's a condescending liar where does the lies end and then it continues with his Guinness World Records and becomes a real wild ride in a way that um, is very fun because essentially it, it goes back to like he follows the unsavory people of the YouTube reactosphere such as, uh, what's that name? Dr. Mutant, Dr. Mutinopoly, the, the Dr. Doom ass guy, the Dr. Dr. Doom face, you know, uh, and uh, the quarter dude, all those weirdos. Because I think he, he's one of those like, well, I'm, I'm not for political correctness at all. And then under his same undertone, he is trying to promote the Amico as a family-friendly game console. I think they're a little opposites myself, but you never know. Um, so in that exciting world of hypocrisy, of I'm making a family-friendly conversation. Also, I can't go to pretty much any gaming outlet <laughs> Like, uh, not to discredit these people, because I think gaming in, in cycles has expanded. I'm probably lower than many of these people in subscribers and followers and viewership. So I'm one of these these lower end people. I would not book Tommy for an interview. <laughs> like I have more prestige than that. I think there are a lot more people in the gaming industry that deserve my attention more. And if I'm going to interview him, it's going to be the classic late night talk show. Tell me about your game kind of thing. Um, so it becomes this weird video where the more you hear Tommy, the more you hear desperation. And it becomes a real spiral kind of thing about what does he own? What is his company? He lies about appearing on MTV Cribs, but he never air he never appeared on MTV Cribs. He appeared on Gamer.TV in the UK. To make matters worse, one of those people was stuttering Craig from Screw Attack. You would think he would do the research, but of course he wouldn't. Because political... Basically what I'm trying to say is a lot of these gamer people who are like the politically incorrect... Uh, 
has some really dumb politics and a really not well researched in understanding this. It, it took each bomber guy phone calls to Guinness World Records to find out how many games does he have and what is the research like. And by H Bomber Guy, of course, it was H Bomber Guy's producer who did it. And thankfully, they got a shout out from from him, uh, which is way better. Uh, essentially, it's H Bomber Guy's going to get the credit for the video, but it's the production team. I think it's Abby is their name. They did the, they did the job. And it was a really, really good video. I essentially, you know, obliterate Tommy Talrico. I, I just want to say it's one of those things where, holy crap, wow, Tommy's a piece of shit. And he's also bad with game opinions and gaming credibility. So even if you're one of these gamer, gator, ethics, and game journalism people, you should be pissed at Tommy because he never discloses where he worked when he reviews a game that he worked on unless the game is good later down the line. So it, it's a, uh, it's a little fun. Basically every, it's like one of those things where it's not everything links to Gamergate, but it's like a, a return to form of H bombs past videos while going into modern day with the Amico and the raising of capital and bad business decisions. And maybe a nice story that capitalism might be bad. Throwing it out there, capitalism might be bad. Is that a hot take? No? Nope. Okay. But it's a very fun story. Uh, because essentially, Roblox gets rid of the oof, and then it's this, and it becomes this really fun uh, review. And also, it's a bit of a review of the game Messiah, which is the origin story of the Roblox sound. So... To me, I, I thought that was also very, very fun because I, I think H Pomp's like me. He loves a little bit of weird retro PC games. And honestly, their whole production thing does really good research. And it's one of those things where it's, yeah, it's a bit of opposition research. Look at the bad thing they've done. They're bad people. But in many ways, H Pomp also tried to throw in life preserver stuff, but he did do a lot of good things in the music industry. He is a good game composer. And then he also talks about gang and the sh some of the shady stuff that happened with gang, but not too bad of a shady thing. So there's a it goes into all directions, essentially, in understanding the character of Tommy Talrico, a guy who gave Super Smash Brothers Melee a 2.5 out of 10 and said, I never review that game. Also, I, I just want to state for the record here, because I, I want to be uh, I want to be full objective uh, even, yes, I've met Tommy, I've met Vic, I've met a lot of the extra playground people. Why did we suddenly just glance over the fact Victor Lucas gave the game a 3 out of five, of 10? He gave the game a 3 out of 10. Vic, come on. Victor Lucas gave the game a 3 out of 10. It's okay for Tommy, because he sucks, but you, Vic, come on. You were one of the good ones. You gave me, like, an encouragement. Like last year, <laughs> how could you? No, um. But yes, uh, so so the H Bobber guy video is a well researched descent into what happens to a person who lies about Gizroll Records, lies about his clout for no reason other than to try and get money for the Amico when people have left. Um, 
a lot of these people went on to do other gaming studio things. Uh, there's a lot of stories that would be told. I, I think, uh, in tele, I mean, like the thing is though, Intellivision is a really good console. I, I think people do get nostalgic for the Intellivision, but usually when they look at Intellivision, they don't think of like ColecoVision. They don't think of like, uh, of like their their first party consoles, they think of the their third party Atari, and if it was me, and this is just Jordan speaking right now as like a weird game reviewer critic, if it was me, I would have rather gave Digital Eclipse the Amigo the Amigo, my friends, no, uh, the. <laughs> uh, not the Amico, but the Intellivision catalog of games and try and incorporate them into a DLC pack for the Atari 50, because there's a whole lot of things that go undiscovered within televisions, one of the first third-party systems for an Atari. And I think that story deserves to be talked about. I think in television had come up with great games. People love Pitfall, for instance. Um, that it's a bit like confusing to see what happened with the game. Uh, the challenges, and obviously, I think it's just a thing that it's it, it it's one of wasted potential. I think there is potential, but wrong people at the company, and I think it's just a essentially a money trap. You're just losing money off this thing. You just pull the plug, be like Kevin O'Leary, put it out back and shoot it. I'm out. <laughs> Kevin O'Leary will never watch this because of the things they said about capitalism. <laughs> But yes, uh, it's 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 a money waster, and H Bomber guy definitely uh, did a really good documentary about essentially what amounts to Messiah had the Roblox oof, Tommy Talrico Studios, and Josh, Tommy and Josh, Tommy and Josh, but he gets all the credit, not the underling who might have composed us, and it's basically the ethics of what is composing, what is music, and just the. What is an oof? Shouldn't the person who said oof be the creditor? And then there's a big story from there. Uh, also, he needs to fix his continuity. I know he wants to do the continuity. He wants to do like the, oh, there's a burnt background and his shirts are covered in poop now or something. Um, it's chocolate because he did the chocolate uh, fudge thing. But just, just stop doing that. H-bomb, it's... Eventually, you might not grow into those clothes anymore. Just go back to the weird outfits or something. But I do appreciate the fact that we are... And this is the last thing I want to say about H-Bomber Guy. What I appreciate about H-Bomber Guy is that this is his latest video. And the last one was like five months ago, six months ago. That he has spent a good chunk of time researching and recording and producing... This one thing, it's this very small amount of people. It's all financed by Patreon, but it's a very small amount of people that he, I think he is the proof that you just have to, it's better to make one really, really, really good documentary movie about a subject than that forced to make a video every week or every month and just burn yourself out. I don't think H Bomber Guy burnt himself out and his content is still fantastic. So check out that H-Bomber guy, Roblox Oof. It's a really, really good documentary, and it's very well-researched. <clears throat> Next, uh, Defunctland. This today, 
came out with a new video about the Disney theme, the Disney Channel theme, that do 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 do, and it's one. I will say this: it is the opposite of a Defunct Land video. It's the Defunct Land video. It's a Defunct Land TV thing, but it's no longer just I'm Kevin Perger, and Robert and Bob Eisner went to do this, and then he went over here and talked to so and so, and went over here, and then in 1940. In all that research, he broke, I hate to say broke new ground. I think that's a trope. He broke his own show. Because the first part of the episode is his classic, the Disney Channel started and da, da, da. And then in 2000, the theme song, iconic, dun, 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 was made by, was made by, and then he stops. And it breaks the fourth wall. Now you're seeing his editing room. And now there's sets and there's designs and it becomes this like cyberpunk noir kind of thing where it's like there's a tape wall and photos and it becomes it's essentially a, a first person documentary movie. It's well, he did the, he did the music and a spoiler he did the graphic design. He did the editing, the research, the production. He was almost a one-man crew on this. There were a few associate editors and other bells and whistles. But mostly Kevin did this, and it's a very beautiful documentary. He interviews people who worked at Disney Channel. He interviewed Damien Haas, who, once again, is not related to me. Folks... I hate to say this. I'm not related to Damien Haas. He is H-A-A-S. I'm H-A-S-S. I know we look kind of alike because the stubble and the eyes. We're not related. Although I will say Damien Haas is a real attractive guy. And I would, I would definitely go on a date with him if he wasn't already dating somebody else. Which he already is, so I'm, I'm fucked. Uh, but uh, he was in there. Uh, Disney Channel stars, and they're basically going through the Disney Channel theme. That dun, 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 you know, dun, dun. when did that come out? When did that begin? And it's an unraveling mystery because essentially it's not well. It's essentially talking about one: the importance of archival, the importance of, I guess, bumpers and music, and the hyperactive abilities of these bumper people and logopedias and music stink like. Not my wheelhouse, but I don't care <laughs> about graphics and stingers, but some people do. And uh, that started a great collection of like, well, we have to find out when if this was around 2000. And it's lots and lots of Disney Channel stars talking about 9-11. And it's played up mostly for laughs. There's a comic element in there for like, Oh God! Nine, oh no! I didn't expect, it. and and then it goes into the. But wait a minute! Sometime around here is when you first hear do 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 do, and we got to pinpoint the date. If we pinpoint the date, we can figure out the song. We figure out the start of the commercial. We could figure out the, and he just goes down the line. He interviews composers. Did you make the do 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 do? No. And they go through the Disney promotional people. Did who did this? And it becomes a descending into basically at like our like our almost like two thirds way into the movie. Uh, I'm spoiling this. Kevin loses hope. 
he goes, I'm at a dead end. I'm at a dead end. I got, I asked every person. I have gone through every website. I have talked to everybody. And I don't know who made this. They don't know who made this. We don't know who made this. And then he, uh, in a, in a audio, in like, he takes a shower. He does the fake, uh, they, there's a joke about how he can't even do the Mickey Mouse. Uh, and then you see a face pick. You see Kevin's face. Well, his eyes. You don't see his face. You see his eyes. And it hit him. The way, because of the meme video. Remember the meme, the behind the scenes, uh, Hillary Duff doing the circle? That raw video had to come from somewhere. So he had to find who uploaded that on YouTube. By finding that out, it got to a different studio. By finding that studio, he found the people. And his research finally figured out who created the Disney Channel theme. And it's a tragedy. And it ends with a real like tragedy. But in a classic perjurer surprise, just like the line in my hypothetical is uh, Animal Kingdom, his big surprise at the end is I'll spoil it because I don't care. The composer of it composed the music of the entire YouTube video. And in one way, he is basically going through the rigmarole of what does it take to make something? Why even bother with this? But he concludes with something even more bigger in depth. And that is he wants to be an artist. He wants to be a documentarian and he hates the term YouTuber, <laughs> I'm a YouTuber content creator. Because I, even I think he's not a YouTuber content creator. YouTuber content creator, content creator is like somebody who's on, I, 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 YouTuber is you are simply like a, like a Jake Paul. Like, hey, what up YouTube? Today we're going over here. Like, I wouldn't say someone like Paging Mr. Morrow is a YouTuber. Um, and then the content creator, I would say, is somebody who makes content. No, no shit. But I would say a content creator does more than one platform. They're an Instagram person who also has a podcast, who also has a YouTube series, who also does. That's what I consider a content creator. I do Twitch streams and I also do YouTube. And I don't think the Funkland does that. I think the Funkland is primarily the documentaries that Kevin makes. Originally, it was a written segment. So for me, I relate to Kevin so much because he was a writer who's a producer and he does so much work. So I root for hell for Kevin. Um, and he concludes by talking about as an artist because he spends so much time and it's not about the numbers. It's really about his art. And he sees that people upload low values. And it's like, well, that's art to some person. And this is something to somebody. And all of this content will eventually fade. And what do we remember ourselves by? So for this composer, which we're not going to say who they are, he goes, well, will they want to be remembered for the radio, like the radio jingle that do, 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 like that... I, I don't want to make a documentary if that's the conclusion, because this person has done so much in other fields besides this one jingle. And I think to just simplify him as the guy who made this is, is embarrassing. He's a composer. He's a musician. He's an artist. And he deserves to be shown for all his creativity. And then the big reveal of he made the music for all the... <laughs>
that. Uh, that is one of the best parts of the documentary. It also is very sentimental, obviously to Kevin, because of his love of television and archival and all of the messages that he has always fought for in the in the defunct land universe, I guess, but also in interviews and on social media. And as a good documentary, because he answers the fucking question, which is something nobody knew. And then when he started telling people who did it, the finale is one sentimental piece. And that's the thing I like the most was the sentimentality at the end. There's a lot of sen- it, it's funny and it's sentimental. And that's something that most content creators can't do. That's why I'm calling Kevin an artist and a documentarian. Because most content creators or YouTubers, if they did the documentary, they would not play for the appeal to emotion. They would mostly go into the, hey, so uh, did you guys see this? Well, this is weird. (laughs) One weird trick you might not know about. Anyway, Disney Channel, it started here. Do you guys remember Disney Channel original movies? That would be what most documentary. Chapter 5, The Ribbon Year. But Kevin didn't do that. Kevin basically made a documentary that's a first person as well. And he tried to balance the layers of what is even the purpose of this and have great graphics, great visual effects in a way that is far more researched and more credible. I would hate to say credible, but more researched and more, I hate to say produced either. It's, it's, more elevated, even elevated is an overturn. It's definitely not defunct land where it's just, here's a Google image and here's the citation. And I'm going to say, hey, Michael Eisner agreed. Here's a giant hat that we could put in the theme park. It's way more than that. It's way more than even like Bear in the Big Blue House is a very influential television show. No, not even that. Not, not even the importance of the Muppet Show and Jim Henson. This is now like he's expanded beyond the theme park. It is basically the subject matter is this one subject, him <laughs> trying to solve it rather than just what is the Disney Channel theme of do, 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 do. And I love that. I think it's one of the best documentaries. Obviously, just like H Bomber Guy, very well researched. He hasn't made a video in almost a year. <laughs> it shows. And the fact it came out and is beautiful and fantastic is amazing. The one question I will not answer is which is the better of the two between the Funkland and H-Bomber guy. Because they're both different. H-Bomb comes from more of a last week tonight comical slant. The Funkland comes from a more documentarian subject matter. Here's interviews. Two totally separate ones, but both very, very good. I recommend you watch both of them in any order you like because they're both very good. Of course, if you're asking me who made the Disney Channel theme, the answer is Tommy Tallarico. Simulator is not a simulator game. <laughs> That's the joke. What started out as an April Fool's Day joke at Coffee Stain Studios would become a just kidding, <laughs> unless 
that became the game Goat Simulator. It too would release on April Fool's Day and is the closest thing we have to a parody game series. Similar to Pissed and Micro Shaft Wind Blows 95 from Parody Interactive in the 1990s. Goat Simulator would be an outrageous game that can best be described as streamer fodder, the kind of game that is best played to get the reaction from the streamer, and is the kind of maturity level of the primary target audience for Twitch streamers, middle schoolers. With years since the original game, the sequel has come out, Goat Simulator 3. If you're saying, wait, where's Code Simulator 2? <laughs> That's the joke. Also, hey, have you played McPixel 3 yet? <laughs> There's a joke you wouldn't believe happens there also. If you never played Goat Simulator before, you play as a goat. You can baw. You can jump. And then the two bigger controls. You can headbutt and you can lick. That acts like a sticky hand that can attach to anything, making a mini wrecking ball. However... The original one was a goofy game that gave you two to three hours of joy, and then you probably uninstalled before seeing some of the expansions, such as a parody of DayZ and even a cool space event. But this game is worth $30. $40 for the full Ultimate DLC Pass, and one must wonder, is it worth it? First things first, the comedy of the game still remains Goat Simulator, obviously. However, instead of hanging with Marshmallow at a roof deck or going into a sewer to see Ninja Turtles, the pop culture references range from surprising to overplayed. You have a Doom level in a mission involving a grandma on a farm. You also have a mission where you find Bigfoot, which is a woman with big feet. There is a level where you go through a Silent Hill-themed haunted house, with annoyance in creepy photos, like wool dolls, hanging on the ceiling, with the joke being the repetition of going down the same corridors is annoying, concluding with the obvious scare, you becoming a ghost, which is just a goat under a blanket. The fun does not stop. As you detonate a bomb, making a Fallout reference, a lighthouse that shows up making way for a Bioshock reference, and yes... Skyrim right at the very beginning, with the game's primary antagonist, the farmer, who is also the one that Fourfall breaks enough to point out how trivial the game is. There are some new mechanics this time around, such as grinding, like in Tony Hawk, and another where you can fast travel. This time around, Goat Simulator 3 is parroting the open world mechanic with its fast travel options and more references, including Assassin's Creed, when you find the towers, and yes, Grand Theft Auto in stealing cars. The jokes go all over the place. Lots of poopy poo poo references, cause pool party becomes poo party. <laughs> and there is a banana character that essentially takes an NPC character and essentially does a gesture that is meant to be riding on a saddle, but with them unconscious, just kinda looks like anal rape. Gotta love the cerebral comedy, real Rick and Morty levels there. Obviously, the game is meant to be full of laughs, and sometimes the outrageous surprises do create a what-the-fuck-lol reaction. Most times, it's a, oh, I know the Star Wars. That's the Star Wars. And the other times, the banana fucking. 
My favorite joke in the game, which I will spoil completely, is there is a convention going on, and there is cosplayers trying to a Captain America knockoff. The ones walking around look suspiciously like Homer Simpson. Just lots and lots of Homer Simpson, to which I did elicit a hilarious laugh. And if you are a guy who loves to see ragdoll physics people fall off buildings or falling into water, there is still some slapstick comedy to come from there, or just a goat looking like their neck has been broken. The game, however, has glitched and crashed on me a few times, but I assume it's more because I tried to record it and it just maxed out my hard drive. But hey, there are silly minigames with unlockable hats that do other silly things like shoot gumballs, shoot fireballs, give you wings, and fly, and other very accurate ways to be a goat. However, the jokes in the comedy get pretty boring and jarring after a few hours, so it's not a game you could be glued to for the 10-12 hours, and I think the game is best played when you don't get spoiled online, but because it still remains a streamer game, if you aren't looking to buy it, please see a long play first when those things happen. One spoil I'll also give happens early in the game when you visit a hot spring and there is a guy looking like he's drowning with the mission called Rescue Steve. When you pick up the person, the name is Not Steve, leaving you confused. When you realize it's not a person, but a fish, you go insane looking in the hot spring for Steve for 10 to 15 minutes, maybe going, where the hell is Steve? To which... You will find him located next to a peaceful water feature, still looking like all the other fish, just a little stuck. Later on during this game, you will see a parody of Disney movies with a lovely trailer for something in the movie theater called Where the Hell is Steve? And that was also one of the other very clever jokes from this game. Its ability to know what the player thinks and writing a fake trailer and movie about what happened is a great type of game mechanic. The last time used in perfection was the Stanley Parable, the deluxe edition that came out earlier this year. Code Simulator and Stanley are both in that satire the gaming market and game development in its feature. However, as a third-person goat versus a first-person Stanley, Stanley at least has a narrative in regards to the main villain, which is the narrator, and the desire for a perfect game. With Goat Simulator, the narrative of the game is practically irrelevant until you do enough missions to go to the castle and meet with the farmer and get the boss fight. Let's conclude by answering the frequently asked questions. Did I have fun? Kind of. Was it better than the original? Yes. Is it worth the $30? Absolutely not. But I do think the developers of Goat Simulator were onto something. I just sort of wish they ventured out of Goat Simulator and took that satire approach to other genres. They had little glimpses in this game, such as the haunted house that was brought up, or in certain forced perspective gags, such as seeing a shrink. I would have loved to see Coffee Sting expand away from Goat Simulator because I think the writing and comedy are pretty tolerable programming means they could probably do a really good parody of dating sim games or FMV arcade shooters, or even a racing game. I think the idea of just seeing an ostrich versus a golf cart versus a kid on a tricycle with their accurate speeds would be in their wheelhouse and make for a hilarious game as well. In conclusion, I got 
bored with this game after three hours, and I don't know if streamers will keep playing this game as well, except in small doses, uh, I assume. I do think if you don't wish to be spoiled, you should pick it up when it's half off, but ideally, I would wait till it's on Game Pass or PlayStation Plus. You get some enjoyment out of it, but you might also shrug at the Elon Musk levels of comedy in this game. It's not terrible, but it's not the best either. Goat Simulator 3 is a 2 out of 5. And now I want to give a shout out to today's sponsor, you. You would be today's sponsor if you donated to the Patreon at patreon.com slash Jordan Haas. There you get an extended cut of this episode, which includes a few more articles and a paywalled news segment. Ooh, what could we be talking about this week? But I will tell you what lies ahead is a recap of Taskmaster, obviously. A big uh, talk about Thanksgiving and two reviews, Run for the Money and the Game Awards. And I think that's it. I think we yeah, I talk about my Game Award votes. What do I think is the game of the year? What a coincidence. I, I agree with you. Maybe. Tune in. Or not. If not, have a happy holiday. Eat some munch. Get plenty of sleep. I'll see you next week. Patreon.com slash Jordan Haas and plug in again. Bye.